this week, Marble Ridge to wind down following UST report that fund violated fiduciary duty as UCC member. City sues funds seeking return of mistaken payment. Valeris enters Chapter 11 with RSA. And as always, updates from Puerto Rico. Hello and welcome to the Reorg Podcast, where we bring you the latest top developments in high-yield distressed debt and bankruptcy. I'm James Holloway. And I'm Raksha Manjanath. Stick around for a deep dive into LATAM credits, including Telecom Argentina and Atento. It's Sunday, August 23rd. On Thursday evening, the United States trustee released its preliminary analysis of Marble Ridge and Fund Principal Dan Kaminsky's actions in the Neiman Marcus cases, which found that the fund, through Kaminsky, quote, breached its fiduciary duty of loyalty to its creditors. It represented by coercing an outside investor to refrain from bidding against Marble Ridge on a key transaction that was considered integral to a successful plan of reorganization. On Friday, Judge David Jones said he would issue an order to show cause on the allegations. Earlier that day, a Marble Ridge spokesperson confirmed the fund would wind down in the the wake of the Neiman controversy. Marble Ridge had been until recently one of the three co-chairs of the official Unsecured Creditors Committee, and Kaminsky served as Marble Ridge's representative on the UCC. The UST said that Marble Ridge's initial explanation of his actions, including calls into potential competing bidders Jeffries, was, quote, at best, incomplete and misleading, unquote, and that Kaminsky's July 31st actions are paradigmatic examples of a breach of a committee member's duties. The UST also suggests that Marble Ridge engaged in another, quote, problematic conduct, unquote, between July 4th and July 30th. As became clear from the UST's report, Kaminsky himself, quote, admitted that contacting and trying to influence a potential rival bidder for property of the bankruptcy estate was wholly inappropriate and a grave mistake. Nevertheless, the UST adds, after initially refusing to bid, Jeffries ultimately made a competing offer for the assets once information about Marble Ridge's conduct became the subject of this investigation. Earlier in the week, on Monday, the Neiman debtors agreed with ABL agent Deutsche Bank and Philo agent TPG to push the planned confirmation date milestone in the final dip order to October 23rd from September 4th. The stipulation also notes that the debtors intend to raise a new exit ABL facility and Philo facility and to pay all allowed ABL secured claims and Philo secured claims in full in cash. Citibank, administrative and collateral agent for Revlon's 2016 term loan, on Monday sued Brigitte Capital Management in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York, seeking an order directing Brigade to immediately return $174.7 million in allegedly misappropriated funds, or in the alternative, to freeze the funds and enjoin Brigade from transferring or distributing them. Citibank said that on August 13th, an operational mistake caused it to transfer about $900 million of its own money for repayment of Revlon's term loan to parties that were not entitled to it. When Citibank discovered the mistake, it promptly asked the recipients to return its money. Brigade, however, quote, unlawfully attempted to capitalize on the mistaken overpayment and refused to return its share and instead converted the money for its own use. Brigitte's actions are not just unconscionable, Citibank says. They threaten the, quote, integrity of the administrative agency function and the trust in the global banking system. 
Citibank later filed another complaint, this one against Revlon lenders HPS and Symphony, requesting that the funds immediately return to Citibank the $127.3 million and the $109.7 million, respectively, that Citi, quote, mistakenly paid. Citibank also seeks interest on the amounts outstanding for the duration that they remain with HPS and Symphony and that the defendants pay damages reflecting their misconduct. District Judge Jesse Furman later entered orders granting Citi's request TRO against Brigade and subsequently against HPS and Symphony. He ordered these parties to submit an agreed-upon scheduling order or competing orders and letter briefs by Monday, August 24th, in advance of a September 30th hearing regarding the matter. Valeris, the offshore drilling services provider, which was created in the 2019 merger of Insco and Rowan Companies, entered Chapter 11 with an RSA in hand on Wednesday morning in the Southern District of Texas after skipping the coupons on three series of senior notes on June 1st. According to the first day declaration of CFO Jonathan Boxed, the debtors seek to equitize all of their $7.1 billion in funded debt. The RSA, with some 50% of note holders, contemplates a $500 million 12-month dip facility and a $500 million new money exit facility. Quote, upon consummation of these restructuring transactions, the debtors will have one of the best balance sheets in the offshore drilling industry, Boxed said in the declaration. The proposed dip facility will be paid in, f- in full at emergence with $500 million in new notes to be issued through a notes and equity rights offering to participating note holders. This exit facility will be backstopped by the members of the ad hoc note holder group initially and any other note holders that join the RSA within 15 business days of the petition date. The RSA provides for revolver lenders to receive their pro rata share of 32.5% of post-reorg equity, with holders of senior notes receiving 34.8% and subscription rights to participate in the rights offering. Rights offering participants would receive 30% of new common stock, while rights offering's initial backstop parties would receive 2.7%. Please note, all equity percentages are subject to dilution by warrants and the management incentive plan. Holders of seven series of notes initially issued by Pride International Inc. and Rowan Companies would receive an aggregate cash payment of $25 million to settle certain claims against Valaris. Judge Marvin Isger granted the bulk of the debtor's first-day motion on an uncontested basis at a hearing Thursday, but the hearing itself concluded some fireworks. Though the debtors were not seeking approval of their dip at the first day hearing, pre-petition RCF lenders voiced their intention to lodge and, quote, vigorously oppose, unquote, the debtors' dip financing after the debtors dramatically pivoted away from the lenders' dip proposal. The RCF lenders called the dip one of the most expensive financings in the history of the world. Additionally, 18% equity holder Luminous announced that it was contemplating seeking appointment of an equity committee and would be engaging with the office of the U.S. trustee. On Tuesday, the official committee of unsecured creditors filed a motion to terminate the Puerto Rico Power Authority's motion to approve settlements embodied in the debtors' restructuring support agreement. Citing, quote, grave doubts about the RSA's viability, the UCC argues that the government parties have conceded in a July 31st status report that, quote, additional time is required to understand how and if the changed economic landscape will affect PREPA and to what extent the RSA may need to be amended. The motion states that unless the government parties unequivocally represent no later than September 16th that they are prepared to move, quote, immediately forward with the Rule 19, 1919 motion, the Title III Court should dismiss the 15 
month-old settlement approval motion for lack of subject matter jurisdiction. Alternatively, the motion asks the court, as an exercise of its discretion, to permit the UCC to pursue its October 30, 2019 objection to the PREPA bondholders' claims under Section 502 of the Bankruptcy Code. A hearing on the matter is scheduled for September 16th at 9.30 a.m. with objections due September 1st at 4 p.m. ET. The UCC contends that PREPA's leadership, quote, could not be clear that the parties to the RSA have, quote, effectively abandoned the agreement in its current form and intend to renegotiate it next year. The motion cites several examples of public statements by PREPA officials and the PROMISA oversight board members indicating that these parties are no longer committed to the RSA or the 1919 motion. On Monday, the PROMISA oversight board moved to slow down PREPA's push to incorporate nearly 600 megawatts of renewable energy through 16 renegotiated power purchase and operating agreements because it would result in electricity rates higher than the projected in the utility's current fiscal plan. In a Monday letter to PREPA Governing Board Chairman Rav Creel, the Oversight Board said the amount of renewable energy to be developed should be initially capped at 150 megawatts to ensure consistency with the electricity rate projections. Oversight Board Executive Director Natalie Jarasco said a determination based solely on the prices of the proposed contracts would, quote, entail the rejection of all for inconsistency with the prices contemplated in the fiscal plan. Jurasco said PREPA should gradually expand renewable energy to take advantage of technological improvements that increase efficiency even further, a more competitive bidding process, and improved contract pricing once Puerto Rico emerges from bankruptcy. On Sunday, former resident commissioner Pedro Pierluisi won the new Progressive Party's gubernatorial nomination over Governor Wanda Vasquez during Puerto Rico's problem-plagued primary vote. Former Isabella Mayor Carlos Delgado won the gubernatorial primary for the opposition party, the Popular Democratic Party, outpacing Senator Eduardo Batia and San Juan Mayor Carmen Yulin Cruz. Pierluisi and Delgado will face off in the November general election in a gubernatorial race that also includes Senator Juan Del Mao of the Puerto Rican Independence Party and Alexandra Lugaro of the upstart Victoria Ciudadana Party. Elisier Molina is also running as an independent candidate. And other top red stories this past week were Chaparral Energy files for Chapter 11 in District of Delaware. Judge Jones orders closed-door status conference in JCPenney cases over escalated concern about lack of sale progress. And Sinclair announces partial redemption of 350 million Diamond Sports Holdings preferred units. Now back to Jim again for the week ahead. Well, thank you, Raksha, and welcome all and sundry to the last week of August, where not one but two tropical storms are glowering at us here on the Gulf Coast. Anyways, Monday, the 24th of the aforesaid month, there's a second-day hearing in Fieldwood, status conference in Neiman, a NOL motion hearing in Valaris, and an omnibus hearing in California Resources. And here I want to give a shout-out to the Vincent and Elkins team who crafted the California Resources reply to the UCC's objection to the debtor's dip, which contained the following, and I quote, Were the court to sustain the committee's objection, the debtors would be left without the ability to fund its operations and be left staring into an abyss. 
That's some good writing, boys. It invokes H.P. Lovecraft, my favorite writer, along with Dostoevsky, working a reference to Cthulhu, and I'll cook up some of my legendary South Georgia pulled pork barbecue with the secret vinegar sauce and personally deliver it to y'all their own Fannin Street. Anyways, Tuesday, August 25th, confirmation hearing in J. Crew, and on the subject of the abyss, excuse me, California, an omnibus hearing in PG&E. Apparently, the Golden State has been grappling with rolling blackouts. Governor Gavin Newsom recently attributed this season in the abyss, if I may borrow a song title from Slayer, a criminally overrated metal band from California, to the transition away from fossil fuels. And, of course, congratulations to Apple Inc., California company for their $2 trillion market cap. Y'all should send a nice deli tray to Governor Powell over there to Fed. Wednesday, August 26th, hearings in Neiman, Lehman, and Forsyth, which strung together that way sounds like a folk trio busking in Haight-Ashbury back in the summer of love. And on the subject of fossil fuels, we have an omnibus hearing in Hornback, settlement approval hearing in Chaparral, and we also have a second-day hearing in Ascensa. And there's earnings from generic pharmaceutical manufacturer Lanet. On Thursday, August 27th, confirmation hearing in Murray Energy and oral arguments in the whole joint development agreement rejection dispute in Sanchez Energy. And Friday, August 28th, I was going to make an asinine crack about zooming into hearings from the Hampton Jitney till it struck me that those with the wherewithal are already ensconced on the beachfront or its equivalent, mom's basement or the tool shed or something. Anyways, we have a continuation of the confirmation hearing in Murray and also hearings in Westmoreland and Speedcast. And that would seem to be it. Now over to my good friends and colleagues, Colin Edward, and they're going to tell you all about some doings down in Latin America. And me personally, I've been pondering a move to Oaxaca, maybe, or Morelia, someplace like that. Nice and comfy, good food, friendly people. I can zoom in from there, I reckon. Gentlemen, over to y'all. Thanks, Jim. I'm Kyle Wusu, Director of Emerging Markets Credit for Reorg. I'm joined here by the newest addition to the LATAM team, Corporate Credit Analyst Ed Cerullo. Today, we're going to discuss some topical credits, and hopefully listeners will walk away with an idea or two, or at least something to think about. So let's get started. First up is Brazilian Customer Relationship Manager Atento, which has a 500 million 6.125% bond due 2022 that's trading around 94.95. Atento's corporate treasurer, Shea Chor, said on August 10th that Atento could look to refinance the bond as early as September. Chor acknowledged that the company would need to pay a cost to refinance the debt. Atento's capital structure comprises $50 million of super senior debt, about $48 million of other financial leases and other credit facilities, $700,000 borrowed under a BNDES project finance loan, and the $500 million bond due 2022, which is secured by a first priority lien over capital stock in each of the bond's guarantors. On an IFRS 16 basis, the company is about 4.1 times levered. On a non-IFRS 16 basis, leverage is about 4.9 times. Bain Capital purchased Atento for $1.3 billion in 2012. Atento's fiscal year 2012 EBITDA was $231 million. On May 7th, Atento announced that HPS Farallon and Singaporean sovereign wealth fund GIC acquired Atento's shares held by Bain. Pro forma, HPS will hold about 25%. GIC 22%, and Farallon 15% of Atento shares. HPS has the right to propose two directors to the board. GIC and Farallon can each propose one director. HPS, Farallon, and GIC also agreed to transfer restrictions with regard to their Atento shares, which last 24 months from the date of the transaction. 
Atento provides a wide variety of consultancy services for a wide variety of industries, including telecom, finance, e-commerce, and tech. In 2019, about 41% of revenue was derived from telecom, and about 36% was derived from clients in the financial services industry. For example, the company's website explains that Atento was tasked with helping a client improve the technical support and post-sale services to its customers. Atento did this by implementing a new customer service and technical support line. The project reduced client costs by 50% by reducing technical support callouts because problems were solved on first contact and did not need to be escalated. Atento's clients include Telefonica, Oi, Claro, HSBC, Santander, Samsung, and McDonald's. Atento has a 10-plus year relationship with over 60% of its clients. It's hard to switch CRMs. One reason is there would be a lot of training involved to get the new service provider's employees up to speed. Another reason is that once a client's workflow is integrated with the CRM's processes, disrupting the process can be costly, timely, and quite frankly, just a pain. One concern is that uh, these are the types of projects that clients may be for- that attend those clients may be forced to delay or cut in a poor economic environment. Atento's sales cycle is about 6 to 12 months. Potential clients evaluate Atento's services before deciding whether to use the product. The long sales cycle exposes the company to risk of delay and cancellation, especially in an unprecedented economic downturn. Nevertheless, the company generated roughly $46 million of free cash flow in the second quarter, benefiting from a $50 million working capital inflow related to receivables and payables. Atento said in its second quarter 2020 report that it entered into a new program targeting 80 million of annual cost savings with 47 million already implemented. The cost savings will be achieved through a combination of both fixed and variable operating cost reductions. CFO Jose Azevedo said the company can grow 15% and still maintain the new lower cost structure. So going forward, we will look to see if Atento is able to refinance its bond what rate the new bond will carry, whether the company can successfully implement its cost savings program, and whether Atento can successfully manage its working capital. Over the long run, we'll be looking to monitor the company's growth to see if it can invest in new verticals and expand revenue. Now, we're going to talk about Telecom Argentina, and I'll hand the mic over to Ed Cerullo. Thank you, Kyle. As mentioned, Telecom Argentina recently concluded a liability management exercise uh, consisting of an exchange and tender offer for its $465 million, um, 6.5% notes due June 2021. The exchange came amidst a progressively weaker economic backdrop and was concurrent with the ongoing sovereign creditor negotiations. It was also precipitated by central bank regulations that came into force in May, requiring Argentine companies to use offshore dollar holdings to repay foreign debt before they can access the the FX uh, exchange window locally. Um, It's unclear as to to when the central bank intends to lift these de facto uh, capital controls. It's also worth noting that the conclusion of the exchange, the company's exchange offer on the 4th of August coincided with the uh, sovereign reaching agreement with its three largest credit um, creditor groups, reducing the debt overhang and potentially paving way for renewed market access. Um, regarding the, uh, the company's exchange and tender offer, uh, note holders tendered uh, 77% of aggregate principal amount notes outstanding, 
um, or approximately 362 million in bonds and received in consideration uh, 253 million in new eight and a half percent amortizing notes due 2025 as well as 119 million in cash uh, the company also conducted a simultaneous uh, consent solicitation to strip the 2020 note, 2021 notes um, of certain uh, covenants and received the requisite proxies to do so. Uh, concurrent with the exchange offer, uh, Telecom Argentina also issued 135 million of 8.5% amortizing notes due 2025 uh, for cash, are referred to as the new money notes, and which are fully fungible with the notes issued as consideration in the exchange offer. The proceeds of these new money notes uh, was used to repay amounts outstanding under a loan facility with Deutsche Bank and CPPAB credit investments. It's understood that those two parties were purchasers of the notes. Uh, in summary, uh, uh, after the exchange, $388 million of uh, new 8.5% uh, amortizing notes due 2025 were issued. Um, across both the uh, exchange portion and the new money portion. Um, the notes amortized 33% in 2023, 33% in 2024, and 34% upon maturity. Uh, as of the 18th of August, the new 8.5% notes were bid 995 uh, to yield 8.84%, uh, uh, while the company's uh, existing $400 million of 8% notes due 2026 were trading at a bid price of 97 and an eighth to yield 8.81%. Uh, the new notes are notably covenant light, with no debt and currents test and a permitted liens securing uh, debt not to exceed. Uh, the greater of 100 million and 20% of consolidated net tangible assets. Uh, the consent solicitation effectively stripped the uh, remaining uh, stub of 2021 notes of certain maintenance covenants and modified the cross default threshold from 50 to 100 million. Uh, roughly 103 million of the 2020 notes remains outstanding after the exchange. Um, total debt of the company uh, after the exchange is approximately 2.3 billion US dollars. Um, with pro forma net leverage of 1.2 times, uh, well under the company's long-term stated target of uh, net leverage of two times. Uh, we understand that the company is also in the process of uh, negotiating a refinancing or a maturity extension um, of its uh, facilities with the IFC and IDB, um, which amortize approximately 55 million over the remainder of this year and 237 million uh, in 2021. The amount uh, outstanding under these uh, respective facilities as of June 30th was approximately $808 million. Uh, by way of background, Telecom Argentina is the largest telecommunications company in Argentina following a merger with Cablevisión in 2018. Um, it offers quadruple play services uh, in the form of fixed and mobile telephony, uh, broadband internet, and uh, cable TV. Uh, in terms of subscriber count, it has market shares of approximately 42% uh, of the fixed line market, 46% of the broadband market, 33% of mobile telephony, and 36% of uh, pay TV subscribers in the country. Uh, its principal competitors are Telefonica's Movistar subsidiary and American Mobile, which operates under the Claro brand name. Uh, both of these companies have invested heavily in their fiber networks to enhance their convergent offerings over the course of 2019. Uh, so has Telecom Argentina, 
Um, it's been able to generate significant free cash flow to invest in its own network and has spent approximately $2.4 billion um, since announcing a $5 billion uh, uh, capital expenditure program in 2018, um, focusing mostly on deploying 4G and converting its older uh, copper ADSL network um, to fiber optics. Um, first half results showed uh, year-over-year and quarter-over-quarter EBITDA margin expansion of 300 and 400 basis points, respectively, um, in spite of price freezes that were instituted by the regulator Enacom during the second quarter. Um, these are set to expire at the end of August, and the company has already announced that it will uh, or intends to increase um, service prices by an average of 10.5% across all products. EBITDA for the quarter was 25.7 billion pesos, or $382 million, and 90 billion pesos, or $1.5 billion US dollars, on a last 12-month basis. Uh, management also noted on a second quarter earnings call that it uh, has had no difficulty in accessing the domestic foreign exchange window, and as a result of the central bank regulations now holds significant dollar balances and uh, dollar-denominated securities uh, domestically. Uh, and with that, uh, I'd like to hand it back to Kyle, who will discuss the airlines. On August 19th, Judge Martin Glenn of the Southern District of New York granted Colombian airline Avianca's motion authorizing the debtors to enter into letter agreements with financing arrangers Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan. The dip is a two-tranche dip, $1.3 billion tranche A and $700 million tranche B. Tranche A comprises $900 million in new money, and $389 million in roll-ups. About 22% of the new money will come from the 2023 note holders, which will, and that the, the, the new money amounts will be rolled up on a 1.1 times basis into $220 million of tranche A debt. $168.5 million of the tranche A will be issued to Advent for its 20% stake in rewards program Life Miles. Consideration for Advent stake also includes $26.5 million of cash. Turning to the tranche B, there's $316 million of new money and then $384 million, a $384 million roll-up of secured convertible debt, which was offered by Avianca in December 2019 and January 2020 as part of its recapitalization. The next event is a hearing on August 26 at 10 a.m. Eastern regarding the rejection of a $150 million loan agreement with special purpose vehicle USAV Flow Limited. Also on August 19th, Judge Shelley Chapman granted Grupo Era, the Grupo Era Mexico debtors $1 billion dip financing on an interim basis, providing the debtors with access to $100 million of the secured tranche one term loan facility under the multi-tranche dip. At, the fi- at a final dip hearing, the debtors will seek authority to access the balance of the $200 million tranche one term loan and the full $800 million tranche two. The dip comprises a secured tranche one term loan, amounting to $200 million, and a secured tranche 2 term loan amounting to $800 million. Each tranche 2 dip lender may elect to receive, in exchange for its tranche 2 dip claims, common stock of reorganized Aeromexico in an amount equal to the lender's pro rata share of the super priority claims plus the exit fee due and payable. The dip is fully underwritten by Apollo. Members, as of August 12th, and, subject to Apollo and borrower consent, certain members after such date of the ad hoc group of holders of 7% senior notes due 2025 will be provided the opportunity to invest 
in the tranche one dip commitments up to 50 million and the tranche two dip commitments up to 125 million. Turning now to LATAM Airlines, also on August 19th in a short 15 minute hearing, Judge Garrity of the Southern District of New York approved two uncontested motions granting Golden Touch Transportation relief from the automatic stay with regard to a termination crew transportation services agreement and authorizing debtors of LATAM Airways to reject certain leases and abandon certain aircraft. Judge Garrity also approved the debtor's application to retain Deloitte as a tax service provider. Looking forward, we will wait. We will await the Judge Garrity's decision on the LATAM dip. The hearing, the last hearing, was on August fifth, and Judge Garrity said he was set to decide. So we will await that and see how that outcome affects negotiations going forward. Thank you very much, all of our listeners. Now back to you, New York. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I know our listeners appreciate that. And thank you again, listeners, for listening to this Reorg Weekly Review. You can find all our podcasts on the Reorg site media page, iTunes, and SoundCloud. And as always, we hope you and yours are healthy, safe, and happy.